0: While they're heading out, let me just mention, um, I just heard something very briefly on the news this morning. Uh, there, there has been an incursion in southern Israel that has claimed uh, 600 or more lives at this point. So uh, let's be in prayer for that whole situation, that the uh, response would be appropriate and that uh, God would bring peace uh, to that troubled region. So let me just offer a word of prayer. Father, we're we're troubled by the news, and yet we know you are in control and that you are working out eternal purposes. And so, Father, I just pray that um, you would bring peace there, and I I pray that um, you would turn hearts toward you as they find themselves in need. Father, so often you use our our perplexity, our our trouble, our, our challenges to draw our hearts closer to you. I pray that you would do that even now, even on a global scale, that you would be glorified to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in uh, John chapter 16. Um, We are working our way through John's gospel. And uh, we come now to uh, chapter 16, starting at verse 16. And, And what we find here is some very troubled and confused disciples Uh, They have been with Jesus for about three years, traveling with him and hearing about the kingdom of God, and now they have come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and some really strange things have happened since they have gathered in a rented upper room. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That was a strange thing right from the start, chapter 13, we saw that. And and then together they celebrated the Passover meal, and at the end of the meal, Jesus told them that one of them would betray him, and then he went on to tell Peter that Peter would deny even knowing him before the rooster crowed. And now he's begun to talk about his leaving them, and about his sending another comforter who would come when he's gone. So the disciples are are just unsettled, Uh, they're they're troubled, they're perplexed, and Jesus sees it and he wants to assure them that no matter what comes next, they can trust him, he's still in control. When we see events around us that, that seem to be spinning out of control, we can trust him too, and I hope that we will take that assurance from this passage. Up until this point, there's one thing Jesus hasn't talked about with the disciples. And that is what they're about to experience in the next 24 hours. They're going to see Jesus arrested, tried, condemned, handed over to the Romans, scourged, crucified, laid in a tomb. if they're unsettled now, imagine what they're going to be like in a day's time. So Jesus begins here to speak of the cross, but he doesn't speak of it in terms of the scope of salvation history. He doesn't speak of it in terms of the suffering he's about to endure on their behalf and ours. He speaks of it in terms of the impact on them. Even on the eve of his Betrayal and crucifixion, he's thinking of them. He wants them to know that he knows what's coming. He wants them to know it's going to be all right. He knows what's coming and they don't. And in this passage, he tells them what they need to know. He does it in a way that will give them hope in a very dark time and will open their eyes to a new level of relationship with God. So we begin with what they don't know. We're in John chapter 16. If you need a Bible, there are some guys in the back. Just catch their eye, and they'll hand you one. I think it'll be easier for you if you're following along. Uh, This is a pretty detailed passage, and so uh, it'd be good for you to have one. If if you have one on your phone, go ahead and open it up. But... uh, it'd be good for you to be following along. John chapter 16, starting at verse 16, and in the Bridge Bibles that we pass out is page 753. So we begin um, with what they don't know, uh, verses 16 to 19. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you'll see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then in a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me? What they don't know. It's likely that they are uh, on the road at this point. It's likely that they are walking at this point toward the garden of Gethsemane. Right at the end of chapter 14, uh, we find these words, come now, let us leave. And, And so I think what they're doing is they're they're leaving the upper room and they're headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane. So this would be a conversation that is happening among them, maybe in little groups as they walk along toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus brings up the subject of what's coming in the next 24 hours. He wants them to be prepared for what they're about to experience. And he does it in the most gentle way. Look at verse 16 again. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. He's just saying it so gently. But that gets them started. Verses 17 and 18, they're going, what, what's he mean by that? Little while, little while, all of that. They don't get it. But verse 17 does say that, that they're tying it into something else he said about um about going to the Father. So they're putting these pieces together. In, in verse 5 and in verse 10, he talked about his going to the Father, and they're putting that together with what he's saying now about in a little while you won't see me, and then in a little while longer you will see me again. So they're they're trying to put pieces together. And Jesus knows what they're thinking and what they're talking about amongst themselves, although they haven't directly asked him So he answers the question they haven't had the courage to ask. He wouldn't tell them everything they'd need to know, but he'd tell them enough to get them through this tough time. Enough to let them know that he knows what's going to happen. But he doesn't reveal the whole thing to them. That would be too much information. Think about your own situation. When you receive too much information, it can be overwhelming, right? It can be paralyzing. Uh, But instead of revealing everything to them, he reveals just enough to them to take them through what's coming next. It does the same for us. Just enough for us to trust him and take the next step. I really appreciate Psalm 119, verse 105, where it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Th- those lamps they used back then weren't like the lamps we use now. Uh, Coleman had not come on the scene yet, right? Uh, uh, all you'd get is this little clay pot with a, with a stem and, and a wick sticking out of the end and a little bitty flame, and, and it would just be enough to illuminate your next step so that you could take one more step. And God does that for us. He gives us enough to assure us that we're on the right path, and we just keep stepping out in faith. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really glad he doesn't tell us everything we're about to experience. I, I think about a camping trip that, that I took with a friend when I was in college, and the two of us um, went to the northwestern corner of Colorado and got dumped off in the middle of nowhere. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous place, and uh, we were there for a week or so together, just the two of us. I think in that whole time, we ran into one other set of campers. So we were really isolated. It was an amazing place. But along the way, I got injured. I almost poked my eye out. And we had a little meager first aid kit. Uh, it, it, it wasn't much. And it was before cell phones. And so we had no way of contacting anybody for help. We, we made it through. But can you imagine if I had known going into that camping trip that somewhere before the end of that camping trip, I would sustain an injury like that? I might not have had the courage to go. And I'd have missed out on some incredible beauty and the deepening of a friendship that had been going on for a few years already. I'm so glad God doesn't lay out the whole thing for us. And he doesn't lay it out for the disciples either. Just enough light to take the next step. So we move on from what we don't know to what we need to know. It's the second point. What they and we need to know. Verse 19 through verse 24. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this so he said to them are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked anything in my name. Ask, you will receive, and your joy will be complete. What they need to know, these next 36 hours for them will be unlike any other time in their life. He gives them in these verses the basics of what they're going to need to know in order to navigate these next 36 hours. I'd like us all to notice just a few things about what he says here. First of all, notice that he responds to their need, not just to their question. He responds to their need, not just to their question. They're wondering what he means when he says, in a little while, you'll, you won't see me, and then in a little while, you will see me. Uh, they're wondering what those little whiles are, and, and they're wondering when those little whiles are coming. And they're wondering how long those little whiles will be. And they don't understand that what really matters is what's going to happen between those two little whiles. Jesus knows what's going to happen between those two little whiles, and he knows it's going to be faith shaking for his disciples. He wants to prepare them for it. Sometimes he doesn't answer our questions. Have you noticed that? Sometimes he doesn't answer our questions, but he does speak to our need. We find an issue in Scripture that we want to know more about. We want to understand it. We want to gain some mastery over some doctrinal point. And we find when we begin to look at it that godly men and women have disagreed over that point for hundreds of years. But we dig in, And we find ourselves surrounded by a mountain of books written on that subject from every side. And so we pray, God, show me what is true here. Show me what I need to understand here. And he doesn't seem to answer our questions. We're still left with a mountain of books and and a lot of data to sort through. And we need to do some sorting. Our specific questions, though, may not be the most important thing. We come to learn through a process like that that there's much more to the story than the questions we're asking, that God is bigger by far, and that's why so many people have disagreed over it for so many years, that God wants us to trust him and draw close to him when we don't understand his ways. He responds to their need not just to their question. Another thing that I think we would do well to notice is that he lets them know he's aware of what they're going to experience, and he wants to prepare them for all of it, not just for the first part of it, much more than they're going to initially see in these next 12 hours. In verses 20 to 22, he lets them know that they're going to weep and mourn. That's going to happen. That's pretty straight up that he's telling them this. But he also wants them to know that their grief will turn to joy. And the very thing that caused them that grief will be the thing that brings them such joy. Hard to imagine, right? But he illustrates it by talking about childbirth. He says "Uh, childbirth causes pain, but it also causes joy when it's over. Both, both pain and joy. How can that be? And then in the same way, the cross is going to cause them grief, but it will become for them a source of joy. Jesus will be paying the debt of their sin and ours for all time. What caused them such grief will bring them immeasurable joy. So many of the hard things that that we experience lead to a deeper joy at the end, a deeper walk with God, a greater understanding of his ways, more joy in our lives. The other thing I would have us notice about this brief section is that Jesus points to some greater blessings that they will experience as a result of what's about to happen. Two in particular. One is there will be a greater understanding so that they won't have to ask questions all the time. Look at verse 23. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. It is interesting that in verse 23, there are two words for ask. Um, look at, uh, at at 23. Uh, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. There's one. Very truly I tell you my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. There's two. English, same word. Greek, two words. Hang with me. Um, The first one here means inquire or ask questions. So in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. You will no longer be asking me questions. You will no longer be inquiring of me. The second one means to ask for things, make requests. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask, request in my name. Hanging with me? Okay, so... It means inquire in the first place. And what he's saying is, in that day that is coming, you won't bring your questions to me because the Holy Spirit will come and he'll provide insight. He's going to indwell you and he's going to give you insight into my words. He will illuminate God's word to your understanding. He will help you apply it. You won't be asking me questions anymore. So one blessing they're going to experience is a greater understanding because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The second ask has to do with requesting things, and we're going to get to that in in just a moment as well, but if you look at verse 26, the same thing happens again. Two asks, two different Greek words, this time in reverse order, okay? Okay? So in that day, you will ask in my name. You will make requests in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. I'm not going to ask him questions for you. So here, we ask for things in Jesus' name. We request things of him in order to accomplish the mission he's giving us. And then the second ask refers to asking questions. Jesus won't be asking questions to the Father for us because the Father loves us and is providing the Holy Spirit for us to give us insight. Bottom line is this. One of the greater blessings we experience this side of the cross is greater understanding into the things of God because of the Holy Spirit who he sent to us after Jesus was glorified and ascended. Now, a second blessing that we have here that's shown in this section is access to the Father for answered prayer. We can ask for things. We can make requests in Jesus' name and trust that we will receive what we need as we carry out his mission. And that, too, is one of the blessings that comes on this side of the cross. So the cross is going to be a source of incredible anguish for them, grief when they see him crucified. But it will also be the very thing that provides greater blessing for them and for us. So we move on then from what we need to know to what we will know. Verses 25 to 28. What they and we will know. Verse 25. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. So what they will know, they will know the Father's love in a whole new way. There is this thing that um, theologians and students of of, um, theology talk about called progressive revelation. Progressive revelation is how God reveals himself in pieces so that we can understand. And so God revealed himself to us initially through the created order, so, when we see uh, God's creation around us, we see intelligent design and we are drawn to look for an intelligent designer. So, he has revealed himself through creation. But then he went on to reveal himself through the voice of the prophets to his people. Those things and others were put into scripture. So, he has revealed himself to us through his word. And then ultimately, he's revealed himself to us through his son, the Lord Jesus. So general revelation, uh, special revelation in the word and ultimately in Christ. And so in Psalm 119, I'm sorry, Psalm 19, the first half refers to God revealing himself to us through creation. The second half of Psalm 19 talks about his revealing himself to us through his word. But the book of Hebrews brings it all together. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of the Father. And he's been with them three years now, speaking about the kingdom of God, revealing the Father to them. And yet... He's been speaking in somewhat veiled language, parables and things. And now he speaks in verse 25 of a time when he's going to use plain language, no more figurative speech, and he will help them see more clearly what God is doing. I think what he's referring to when he speaks about this time that is coming when he'll speak plainly to them is the time between his resurrection and his ascension when he spoke very clearly about uh, what he was trying to reveal to them. Uh, One of those uh, times is recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. You may remember the story. It's about three days after the crucifixion. Some dejected disciples have left Jerusalem. They're walking to the town of Emmaus, and Jesus sort of joins them in their walk. They don't recognize him. He is risen. They don't recognize him, but he just asks them what they're talking about. And they say, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on, what's just happened? And they explain why they're so downcast. And then Jesus says this to them in Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is one of those times when he is speaking plainly. This is the time he told them that night was coming, that he would be able to explain things more fully. Uh, This is a part of what happened in what we call the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Now, when you look closely at this passage, you'll see there are several time periods that he talks about here. So I'm just going to ask you to put yourself in the position of the disciples for a minute. You're talking with Jesus and so there is this now moment as you talk to him, as he explains these things to you, the the time of this discussion marked by confusion and as we're going to see a little bit later, marked by a bit of false confidence. So there's this now, there's this in a little while that he talks about in verse 16, in a little while when they won't, see him. What's that talking about? Crucifixion and those three days of waiting while they despair. Then there's another little while that he talks about when they will see him again. What's he talking about there? Resurrection. He'll be back with them. Then the next period of time we see is, is referred to here in verse 25. There's a time coming when he'll speak plainly. I think what he's talking about here is those post-resurrection appearances like what he did on the road to Emmaus, times when he met with his followers and explained things to them before his ascension to the Father. There's one more. We see it in verse 23 and verse 26. In that day, he speaks about. In that day. So verse 23, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. You'll no longer be bringing questions to me. And then in verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name, you'll make requests of the Father according to what you need for your mission. And so what in that day refers to is the time coming, it's the time we're living in when there is a new reality after Jesus has ascended and the Holy Spirit has come. That's the age we live in now. And Jesus tells the disciples that in that day, they will ask, they will make requests. In his name. And that means that they and we will be asking Jesus for things as his authorized representatives. I, I know I used this once before. I, I told you about when I was in the army, I, I had the privilege of, of being able to make requisitions for the commander. And I could sign for the commander on a requisition and put my name. So I was asking in his name for things. Uh, but I got to do it myself and so I was asking as his authorized representative it's great great privilege great responsibility as well I needed to be careful what I was asking in his name because he would see it and uh, and let me know if I asked in error so we are his Authorized representatives. Great privilege, great responsibility. And when we do ask in Jesus' name, we learn that the Father loves us just as much as Jesus does. Jesus and the Father are on the same page regarding us. Jesus doesn't have to persuade a grudging and reluctant Father to respond to our prayers. The Father loves us. So Jesus knows everything that's about to happen to him. He knows everything the disciples are about to experience. He knows what that will lead to, and he wants to share with the disciples enough to get them through this tough period between the two little wiles. But just as they focused on what the little wiles meant rather than the important stuff that would come between them, they reveal their shallowness again in verses 29 and 30. Take a look. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Here we come to grips with what they think they know. They have this great aha moment. And they say, aha, We get it. You can read minds. Uh, That's how we know you came from God. And they're impressed. And he meets their approval. And they think they're pretty smart for having figured it all out. But once again, they've zeroed in on a pretty minor thing, and they've missed the biggest thing. He's not here to read minds. He's not here to meet their expectations, or he's not here to get their approval. He's here as the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. That's his mission. If we backed up to chapter 13, went back into the upper room, we'd see Peter claiming that he would lay down his life for Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, before the the rooster crows, you'll deny me. Matthew tells us that Peter went so far as to say that if everyone else, if all of the other disciples fell away, Peter never would. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me before morning. And here he's essentially saying the same thing about the rest of them. Look at verses 31 and 32. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. Time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. Sometimes we think we've got it all figured out, only to find that we've focused on the wrong thing again. And that we're not as smart or as strong as we think we are. I am amazed at Jesus' patience with his disciples and with me. I get it wrong so often. You find yourself in that spot, and he's so patient with us. Fifth and final thing is what they and we can know. Verse 33, in a word, what we can know is peace. We can know peace. Verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We're going to have trouble in this world. Following Jesus isn't going necessarily to be easy, but in him we can have peace. He's overcome the world, and in him we can as well. It's a far bigger picture of peace than what we might usually think of. It's not a life free from difficulty. No, he says we're going to have trouble in this world. But it's a peace in the midst of that difficulty. And it comes through Jesus by knowing what really matters. In knowing Jesus, we can see beyond the present circumstances that we Have trouble with, and we can have a settled feeling of peace, even in the midst of it. Years ago, a major art gallery sponsored a competition for artists, and they were offering prizes for the best painting on the subject of peace. The painting that won was a real surprise. It was painted by a a man named Jack Dawson. He painted a waterfront scene. In a violent storm, the sky was ominous. Lightning was was cutting across the sky. Waves crashing into the rock walls of the cliffs. Where's the peace in this picture? Well, you had to look carefully to understand what's going on. There, about halfway up the cliff, is a bird's nest, tucked into a little hollow in the rock. A mother bird sitting on that nest with her little babies tucked safely underneath her, sleeping soundly. Can you see it? Let's take a close up look. Next slide. There's a little closer look. You see the little bird nest in the middle of the thing. See, it's not the absence of difficulty that provides peace for us, it's the presence of God in the midst of the difficulty. We put our trust in the one who overcame the world and we can know peace, even in the midst of our most troubling circumstances. The disciples were troubled and they were about to get a whole lot more troubled in a little while when Jesus would be arrested and tried and crucified and they would be scattered. But in another little while, he would be resurrected from the dead and they would know that he conquered death that he would give them power to overcome the world themselves. That doesn't mean that his followers are free from troubles, but it does mean that he gives us a perspective that's bigger than our troubles. Maybe you're going through a tough time right now. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know this, you can trust him in the midst of it. Bring whatever it is you're going through to the foot of the cross and leave it there. Ask him to help you see a bigger picture. Know that he will use even this for your good and for his glory. Troubled followers can find their peace in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I I thank you for these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he was going to leave them and suffer for them and for us. A time that would cause great perplexity for them, great anguish, and yet a time that would lead to joy because of that same cross on which he suffered and died. So, Father, we put our trust in you and we look to that cross ourselves for the forgiveness of our sins and for a relationship with you through Jesus. Thank you that in the cross, he made that relationship possible. And Father, I just ask if there's anybody here this morning that needs to say, Jesus, I I get it now. You died for my sin. Would you apply that to my account? I want to know the Father through you. So Father, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts right now and Help us when we are troubled to bring our perplexity to you and to find in you a perspective that gives us peace. In Jesus' name, amen.